0: Let's just take some time now to open our Bibles, and we'll return to where we were in 1 Thessalonians, uh, picking it up from where we picked off last week, and that is reading verses 12, 13, 14, and 15. As I was thinking of who God is and how He has revealed Himself to us, we remember that God values relationships. Relationships. There is God the Father, there's a Son, and there's a Holy Spirit, and there's perfect unity and harmony within the Godhead. And when God created man, He even said of man that it is not good that man should be alone. Because man is made in the image of God, He made man and women to be in relationship. And we could say that the greatest harm that sin did was it severed the relationship between man and God and man and one another. And the whole of Scripture is about how that relationship is restored. And so when we celebrate baptism like we did today with John, we celebrate a life that has been forgiven of their sins and our relationship has been restored back with God. But when a person is then made a believer through the grace of God, through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, then something else happens. They enter into the family of God. And so relationships matter, not only with God, but also with one another. And then like we celebrated this morning with Gary, he becomes a member of a local family. So the most important thing is our relationship with God. We are to love him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. But relationships are so important to God, he says, Now I'm going to put you within a church to work out your salvation and to take this message and disciple others, disciple the nations. You know, there's a lot of times where I'm really grateful to be a part of Highland Crest. I just think of the history that I've had with Highland Crest and how faithful this church family has served and ministered to me, encouraged me, and just laughed with me and, and cried with me. But I was reminded of that again on this last Friday where those of you who could make it were aware of it, gathered for a prayer meeting there at the top of this parking ramp right across the street from where Vanna's um, hospital room was. And Vanna's oldest daughter, Michelle, was there staying with her mom as, as they were looking across the street and looking at the people that were gathering for prayer. And Michelle would tell us later that this nurse that was there was so taken back by this family that cared so much for Vanna. She's like, do, do you think they'll come? Wow, look at all those people that are there. Wow, are, are they all here to pray for Vanna I don't think I've ever seen anything like this before. And Michelle could say to this nurse, this is really a family. They really love each other. They really care for one another. What a a wonderful thing. What a wonderful family to be a part of. Well, this morning's passage, only four verses. But it, but it centers on relationship. We're going to see three different relationships here within these four verses. The first relationship we're going to see is between the leaders and the church. The second relationship we're going to see is between the church and how they relate to the leaders. And then the third relationship we're going to see is going to be how the local church relates to one another. So let's now look at verses 12 through 15 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And Father, we pray for you just to add understanding to these words. Lord, thank you for the family of the church. Thank you for how they minister to one another. They minister to me and my family. Now, enlighten us further and and drive us to become closer to what we see here in these four verses. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse 12, we see, we ask you. So Paul is making a very respectful and friendly appeal to this gathering there in Thessalonica. He says, we ask you, brothers. This is a, a word of affection. It's Paul's favorite word to use to refer to a local church. It is used 60 times in the New Testament. In the book of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, it is used 27 times. We will see it in verse 12 and we will see it in verse 14 as well. And we see that he is writing this to the local church there in Thessalonica. And he is identifying the first sphere of relationships between the leaders and the local church. You'll notice that I use the word leaders, plural, because that's what we see here in verse 12. It says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those whom labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, in verse 13, and to esteem them very highly. I believe when we see a pattern of New Testament leadership within the scriptures, we see a plurality of leaders. We we see that in Acts 14. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul told Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders, plural, in every town as I directed you. So you see that there is a group of leaders there that are overseeing the church and they have three responsibilities to the local church there in Thessalonica. So the first part of this passage deals with the leaders and how they're supposed to be relating to the local church. So let's look at them. Number one is they are to work hard. It says here in verse 12, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor Among you. The word labor here is the word kapio, which means a strenuous effort and exertion to the point of sweat and exhaustion. So this is what they can expect from their local leaders of that church is that they are working hard on behalf of that church. And you also see that it says that they labor among you. So it's not that they're distant from the church family, they are right there among the church family. I think it was just yesterday I was reading about this mega church pastor that had gotten himself in trouble, a moral failure. But what he was doing over the last several weeks was he wasn't around his church family at all. The church was so large that they had something called a green room and he would show up on a Sunday morning and he would go from his car to the green room, hang out before the worship service, go from the green room out to the uh, auditorium, and he would preach his sermons for various services, and then he was gone. But he was isolated among the church family. But what we see here is the leaders within a local church are to do life among, among the local family. Now, how is this work Exhausting. I mean, it could be, and let's just be honest, it could be that you've come this morning and a Pastor, that sounds like a great position. You only work one day a week, right? But there is some exhaustion when it comes to just studying, explaining, praying through, applying the, the truths, battling in prayer, meeting and providing counsel from the Scriptures, visiting the sick. And for some, studying and praying is the easy part. Being around people is difficult. And for others, vice versa, right? Uh, being around people is the easy part and, and coming back over. But the point is, it is to be stressful. It's to be challenging work. And this word labor is used in other places in First Thessalonians. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil... We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So Paul has set an example for them, our labor and our toil. We saw the same word labor in First Thessalonians 1, verse 3. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of stead, labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. There is to be an intensity among a local church's leaders that they are giving all of themselves to their wife, to their kids, but also to the church family. Yet I am grateful for the two most prominent mentors I've had in my life that have modeled this for me. One is with us today in Jim Downs, another who served... I got to serve with in Fort Worth while I was in seminary named Al Meredith. Both these men came and and set an example to me and says, Chad, if you really want to get the work of the ministry done, I don't know how you can do it without six full days of ministry. You need to give yourselves to this, and it's going to require a lot of work for you. And they modeled that for me. So the first expectation that I think a local church can have of a leader is that they work hard. The second that we see here is a responsibility that the leader has to the local church is to lead well. Look with me again at verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, and here's the second one, and are over you in the Lord. This uh, Greek language of over you means to stand before, have authority, to lead, to preside over, to offer humble Leadership. This Greek word is used four different times in the book of First Timothy to refer to leadership. And of those four times, three of them have to do with the way a man, a husband and father, manages his household. So in other words, the same way that a husband and father loves his wife and leads his wife, knows what she is going through and and guiding her along, the same way that a father looks upon the children and and nurtures them and guides them and instructs them and, and disciplines them, he has to apply the same leadership to the local church. And he is not to do this in a domineering way. 1 Peter 5, verse 1 through 3 makes that clear. Peter wrote, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain but eagerly. Verse 3 says, not domineering over those in your charge but being examples in the flock. So this over you, you see it there again in verse 12, and over you in the Lord. This leadership that is provided within the local church, uh, one doesn't come up and say, I'm making this self-proclamation that I'm now going to be a leader of this church. Rather, it says, over you in the Lord. God has made that clear to the man. God has made that clear to the local church that this is the person whom is to lead us. I was listening to a man that I, I love to listen to and appreciate. His name is Paul Washer. And, and really, under his preaching, uh, my wife became a Christian. It was, it was a great time in her college years. And he was talking about leadership this week. And he said, I've concluded this, that. That if God wanted, he certainly could have raised up a more capable husband than me to love my wife, but he hasn't. And so I'm supposed to love my wife and lead her. If God wanted, he certainly could have raised up a more effective father to raise my children, but he didn't. I am the father, and I am to lead them as best I can. And he said, I have this ministry, and if God wanted to raise up a better leader, he certainly could have raised up a more effective leader for this ministry, but he hasn't. And He's called me to lead. And that's been helpful to me, right? In the same way for you, grandma. There might be a more effective grandma that could look over the children and, and encourage the, 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 the grandchildren, but he hasn't. He's called you to do that. There might be a more effective leader to lead a department at your workplace, but he hasn't called up someone else. He's called you to lead that department. And whatever he has called us to lead, we are to pour ourselves into it, into our families, into our workplace, and into our ministries, and do our very best. Lead well. The third thing that we see here, that that a leader is responsible to the local church in this relationship is, he is to warn the family. We see at the last part of verse 12, And over you in the Lord, and admonish you. This leader has a responsibility to the local church to admonish. This is this idea of teaching and preaching to them. This, this word admonish means to put in mind. It means to take the truth of God, and by teaching it and preaching it, to put it in your minds. And to instruct you on the purpose of correcting, to confront a sinful habit. One of the qualifications of a leader, of an elder within a church, is to hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, and also rebuke those who contradict it. Titus chapter 1 verse 9. So those are the three responsibilities. The first relationship we see is a leader's responsibility to the church. Now let's consider the second uh, view of relationship in this passage, and it has to do with how a local church is to treat its leaders. Now I admit that this could be self-serving, but all I'm going to do is just stay with what the Bible says, okay? Because if I get too, too far from that, I won't have a job by the end of this message, okay? <laughs> so this is the church family relating to leaders. You see, the first thing here in verse 12 is we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. So the first thing is the word respect. It is interesting, though, this word respect in the Greek language is a very common word, mean, which means to know. But it's not to know like just a fact, but it's to know through a relationship. And here's the principle. It's the local church family is to realize that that leader and his family are just people. And it's not just a name that's on a web page. It's not just to know them as a fact, but it's really to take the time to have a relationship. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a balance there for a, a leader within the church to be friendly and approachable and loving and also to be the leader and, and have some authority. Often people can be critical of church leaders. They have their own notion of what a, a leader should look like, but taking the time To get to know the leaders of the church can go a long way from from there being division in that relationship. So the first responsibility for a local church to the leaders is respect. The second is the word esteem. You see it here in verse 13. And to esteem them very highly. That is to regard them. To to think highly highly. Of them. And to do that, again in verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love. Why? Because of their work. It's not so much that a church leader has looked at and said, that right there is a special person. It's more about that right there is a special work that God has called that person to. And so a man or a woman might leave one morning and say, I'm off to work and I'm going to be meeting with clients, I'm going to be meeting with customers, I'm going to be meeting with my coworkers, my employees, my employers. But when a man that's called to preach kisses his wife and hugs his kids goodbye, he says, I'm going to go fight the devil, I'm going to go fight the demons, I'm going to go fight the God of this world. And just know that there is a target on my chest and on your chest as well and just know that if he can bring us down he can do a really good number on our local church and that's not only true of the lead pastor but all of the leaders where there is these flaming arrows that are being shot at them so there is a there's a, a respect not so much for that person but the calling that that person has in each church Acknowledge that this is God's man. These are God's men that he has set aside for us to serve us. There's a third response that the local church is to have towards its leaders. And it's the word that I'm just going to use, support. Look at the last part of verse 13. To be at peace among yourselves. To be at peace. Now, do you remember what's going on there in this church in Thessalonica? Do you remember how it started? That on three consecutive Sabbaths, Paul, Silas, and Timothy went and preached and proclaimed Jesus to the people. And why didn't they stay a fourth Sabbath or a fifth Sabbath? Do you remember why? Because they got chased out of there because of persecution. And I think what Paul is saying is that there is so much opposition and and fighting going on outside of the church gathering so do your best when you gather as a church not to fight, but to live at peace with one another. The writer of Hebrews, in ver- Hebrews 13 verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. So we've looked at two different relationships within the church. We've looked at the relationship between a leader and the local church, and then we've looked at the relationship between the local church towards the leader. Now, how many of you know that within a local church, there's a whole lot of ministry that needs to be done way too much for one leader or just a few leaders? So as a result... Paul is going to direct the the remaining part of this to say, this is how you all need to minister to one another. In Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 12, Paul said that Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So let's now just reflect a little bit on the church family relating to one another. He says something here very insightful. He says that within the church, there are three groups of people. I don't know that this is intended to be comprehensive, but he's going to say that there's three different groups of people within the local church. Now, as we work through this group of three people, what I want you to do, I'm going to give you a heads up, I want you to think through this within your own local church right here, who who is in one of these groups. And then I'm going to ask you to think about how you might bless them this week. So here's the first group of people. Look with me here at verse 14. And we urge you. Now in verse 12, we ask you. In verse 14, it's, it's intensified. I am, this is urgent. I need your help to minister to one another within this local church. I am urging you to minister to each other. And this is what he says. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. So here's the first group of people within a local church. It is the idol. These are the ones that are unruly, out of line, undisciplined, defiant in conduct and attitude. So on account count of three, we're all going to point. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is a military term. This word idol in, in Greek means, uh, it's the context of a soldier that is out of rank. They're disorderly. They're insubordinate. This is a soldier that's been told to carry out a command, an order, and he refuses to do it. Is there people within the local church like that? And here is what Paul says we're supposed to do. Read it again in verse 14 Admonish the idol. Here is the response confront and Warn them. There are church members that can step out of line. There are ones that can get upset. They say, I don't like how this is going. I don't like how this leader is leading. And and I'm withholding my spiritual gift. I'm withholding my tithe. I'm, I'm withholding my faithfulness to that local church. I will not fulfill my responsibility. It could even be on a personal front where they are in sin. And defiant. It could be a a man that's not fulfilling his responsibility to his wife and to his children. And what are we instructed to do is to confront and warn them. Now this doesn't mean that we are to be judgmental and critical. But it is to hold up the scripture and say, I'm just concerned about you, sister. I'm concerned about you, brother. This is what the Bible says. And I'm warning you that if you just continue down this path that the Lord may bring discipline upon you or, or you might experience what you are sowing right now. So please, I'm, I'm begging you to turn from where you are going. So the first group we see is the idol. And so I would ask you right now this morning, who do you know that is idol within the local church? And how could you talk to them this week? How would you, how could you warn them this week? Here's a second group of people, and this is just what Paul is saying. He says there's the idol, and then look with me at verse 14, the middle part. It says, encourage the faint-hearted. He says there's a second group of people within the local church, and those are the faint-hearted. Literally, it is little-souled. They are discouraged. They are timid. They are fearful. They are worried. They are... They're quitting. And I remind you the context of who Paul is writing this to. This is a church that is experiencing persecution. This is a church that at one time their life was was kind of even-keeled. Then they start following Jesus and all of a sudden this avalanche of problems and pressures happen. And they might want to check out and seek a little easier of a life. And isn't that true? When we get involved in ministry and, and we are serving others, it's not unusual for the temperature to get turned up in our life. And we be, can become faint-hearted. We can be beset by doubts. Our faith can be shaken. We can be vulnerable to error and to temptation. We can become spiritually stuck. And So what is the response to this second group of people? You see it there in verse 14. It says, Encourage the faint What does it mean to encourage here? This word means to come alongside and to speak beside someone, to offer comfort and consolation. Chuck Swindell had a, a wonderful quote related to this gift of encouragement. He said, "...this gift may be wrapped in an affirming word, a gentle touch, a smile, or a shoulder to lean on. It may simply be our presence." Too often we isolate ourselves like strangers in an elevator. We feel uncomfortable even making eye contact or speaking politely to one another. But in the family of God, though, these things must be different. Let's free ourselves to touch one another, particularly the discouraged who need to know someone cares. So for the defiant, they need a word of warning. But for the one that's just really discouraged. If you were to go to them and rebuke them and warn them what might happen, they might might fall into a puddle, right? So for them, you encourage them. Now here's the third group within the local church. It says here in verse 14, help the weak. The third group is those that are weak. They just lack strength. It could be physical but they could be burned out, they could be emotionally exhausted, spiritually famished. I mean, can this happen? Has this ever happened to you? I mean, if we are honest, can we not look at these three groups of people and say, you know what, I think within the last month I've experienced some of this. I think I was in this category, or or this category, or this category. There are times where we are in a particular position in life and, and maybe you're a, a young mom of some children, and it's not like you can take a vacation from that. And you can feel weak from that. Maybe you are in a position in life at your workplace where you, you've got a couple employees that left, and now all of this is on you, and it's not like you can do anything about it. You've just got to stay there and do your very best, but it, it is taking its effect on you so what are we supposed to do with those who are experiencing this weakness? As it says there, help the weak. The word help there means to hold to, support them. The idea is here, I understand that you're going through a lot right now, and we're going to come right alongside you. And and we want to stay beside you over this period of time, checking on you until this lifts. There's a great word picture here uh, that I I heard from Paul Washer on Titus 1.9. The same phrase is used. We must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. And so here's that word being used again to hold on to a person that is weak. And so it's like this. On one hand, we are to hold on to the trustworthy word. And with the other hand we are to hold on to a person that at this moment in their life is experiencing some weakness. Why? So we can give the word of truth to them, that that will strengthen them. Let me just offer a few words here about these three groups of people. It is implied here that we know one another well enough to say that person right there is idle, that person right there is faint-hearted, or that person is weak. So it, it speaks to us about being involved in church well enough to know one another to be able to minister to each other if they're in one of these groups. As our church, we really try to lean heavily upon either the Bible study hour at 9 o'clock on Sundays or during small groups when we're meeting for small groups. We won't have small groups this summer, but we will resume with them in the fall. I think this also speaks to us about each of us We'll dip into some of these classifications sometimes in our Christian life, won't we? But here's a distinction I, I think I need to say is that none of us should live in these areas. It's okay for us to experience some weakness from time to time. It's okay for us to, to be faint-hearted from time to time and, and have people to come up alongside us and encourage us. But but we can't have only be givers, or rather just takers of the church, we also need to be givers within the church as well, don't we? So here are these three groups, and here's these three strategies that we are to minister to them, and so I would ask you, as you think about those who are faint-hearted, as you think about those who are weak, does the Lord bring any of those people to your mind right now? And if so... How can you serve them this week? Think about that. Write that down in your outline. There's two other things that Paul is going to leave with us before we leave this passage. As we are serving either the the, the idle, the faint-hearted, or the weak, verse 14, Paul says, Be patient with them all. We might be saying, okay, you, you've been on this uh, faint-hearted stage for two days now. Wasn't it a time for you to get off this? That's not how it works. We are just to offer a word of encouragement. Pray for God to do a work in their heart. The, the language here for patience is a long fuse. And and like a a father, like a mother that is patient with their children as they're learning how to walk or or learning how to tie their shoe, we are to exhibit the same patience. Aren't you grateful that the Lord provided this patience for you? In Joel chapter 2 verse 13 it says, return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and he relents over disaster. In the same way, God's been patient with you. You are to be patient with those within your church family. And then we see something that might surprise you. It says here in verse 15, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, why would verse 15 be here within this context? My, my suspicion is if you've been involved in ministry, you've seen this. Here's someone that's faint-hearted. Here's someone that's idle. Here's someone that's weak. And you have come, and what you've tried to do is to help them. And and as you've attempted to help them, they've actually turned on you. And And your helping hand has been extended, and for some reason they didn't receive it that way, and now they're, They could even slander, they could gossip, they could offer false accusations of what you are actually trying to do. And so what he is saying here is may that not happen, but if it does, don't retaliate. Just continue to do good to one another. So here's here's what I'd like you to think through. There's there's just some tailor-made applications for you. Uh, on one hand, you could look through each one of these three groups of people and say, okay, this week I want to I address three different people that are in each one of these groups. And if you're able to do that, great. But just look around this room today and say, if, if each of us took one person that was in any of these categories and we just were really intentional about the idol, about the faint-hearted, about the weak, we could really have an impact this week, couldn't we? So that's what I want you to do. You think about it. Who will you be reaching out to? Who will you be encouraging? Who will you be patient with this week? At the close of our service today, I've asked our deacons and and their wives to, to be along the front here and as we leave on our way out sometime this morning, the truth is I don't know and they don't know about all that you are going through. How would they? But of all times, this would be a great time for us to say, "I could use some prayer i I, I find myself in, in one of these areas or or I want to reach someone and, and I just could use I could just use some help I could use some prayer let's let 's be a church like that that we could ask for prayer and, and, and there would be those that would pray for you then ultimately, our relationships that that around here at a, at a horizontal level needs to be First, at a vertical level with God. So if our heart is right with God, then we are able to have a relationships that are right with others within our church and with those outside the church. Let's pray together for that. Father, we thank you for this, this glorious gospel, this glorious message that you have come, that we may have a relationship with you, and that relationship is through the forgiveness of sins that is offered through Jesus. And in that, then we get the, the privilege of being a part of a family where we can encourage one another. It's a relationship with the leader in the church, the church and the leaders, but also the church interacting with one another. And yes, in our church and in every Bible-preaching church in our community, there are those right now that are that are... Idle, They are in defiance, whether intentionally or unintentionally. They, they have allowed themselves to, to sin, and they are not right where they need to be. And so we pray that you would help us to go out and to warn them. There are those who just experienced a lot over the last couple of weeks or maybe months, and they're, they're just faint-hearted. And may you allow us to come alongside and encourage them. There are others that are just weak. They're, they're spiritually famished, so we, we pray for them, that you would allow us to offer a helping hand, hold on to them, that they would be supported and be back on their feet and, and help us to be serving at this time, and maybe be at the recipient the other time, and maybe be receiving the help now so that we can help at another time. Oh, Lord, help us first to be right with you. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.